Articles by Desiring God God of Ages Past The Awakening We Need Today Written and read by Greg Morse Over 38 years of pastoral ministry at New Park Street Chapel, later to become the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Charles Spurgeon and the church added nearly 14,000 people into membership. Of that number, how many would you guess were brought into the church through baptism as new souls won to the Savior? I would have guessed up to 3,500. Most, I would have reasoned, transferred from other churches to hear the generation's greatest preacher. Further, 3,500 people baptized, on average 92 a year, nearly two per week for 38 years. This seems like a downpour of blessing compared to the trickle of conversions I am accustomed to. In his wonderful book, Spurgeon the Pastor, Jeffrey Chang gives us the answer. Spurgeon took in 13,797 people into membership. Of that number, 10,063, or 73%, were taken into membership through baptism. The rest, through transfer and by profession, 20% and 7% respectively. Meaning, most of the membership of the tabernacle was made up of those who were converted through the ministry of the church. In one generation, over 10,000 were brought into the local church through baptism. Can you imagine? Burning disgrace. The astonishment deepens when Dr. Chang documents how Spurgeon detested lax standards of baptism and membership, meaning the church did not baptize on a whim. Those 10,000 did not raise a hand in one moment of passion and wade into the pool a few minutes later. Spurgeon refused to boast of what he called unhatched chickens. Rather, the church remained serious about regenerate church membership, with a process on the front end that towers over many churches today. Above all, Chang writes of Spurgeon, he wanted to see people brought into the church from the world. His hunger to see God save souls was contagious. He could not conceive of a church of Jesus Christ not winning her master's spoils. He said, I should reckon it a burning disgrace if it could be said, the large church under that man's pastoral care is composed of members whom he has stolen away from other Christian churches. No, but I value beyond all price the godless, the careless who are brought out from the world into communion with Christ. How many pastors and churches today think this way? Or, most convicting to me, how many believe this way? How many really believe God can build our churches primarily through baptism? I know I struggle too. How many really believe we can see a revival of a neighborhood, a town, a city, or a nation with that old rugged gospel? I know I struggle too. How many really plead for God to move mightily among us as of old? I know I struggle too. Great Awakenings Stories like these stir a restlessness in me. I read of God's work in other lands and times and wonder at such little resemblance to my own experience. They lived in an epic 
it seems. And I turn the pages of scripture to read of my forebears who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. What would they read flipping through the pages of my life? Continuing on, I read of a mighty gospel turning the world upside down. In special epochs, distant epochs, I read of major cities casting their idols into the fire and of conviction for sin shattering hearts by the hundreds and thousands. I read of great awakenings on our own shores as many looked up from their snake-bitten condition to Christ and were healed. Homes and streets were filled with heavenly conversation, they say. Multitudes lived with sobriety over sin in a fear of the wrath to come. Hearts seemed fuller. Worship seemed more robust. And the next life with Christ, the grand desire. Different times, I sigh. Then seemed to have something happening. Something in breaking. Something at stake. Before them, waters parted and revivals fell and mountains moved into the heart of the sea. Life was less certain, perhaps. I didn't cite the verses in Hebrews 11 detailing torturings and floggings and sawing in two. But as the fingers of time pressed firmly upon the neck, immortal beings felt their fleeting pulse and lived nearer, at least as I imagine it, to the world to come. Same yesterday and today. But on most days, that world and those times feel behind us. We live now in a world of smartphones and freeways and antibiotics. Modern man is too scientific, too enlightened, my unbelief contributes, to be one as less sophisticated generations were. Today, more and more simply dismiss claims of religion, the Bible, and even objective truth. Today, the throb for that inarticulate something is often dulled by the endless buffet of amusements. Today, the breach between this world and the next is wider. The graveyard lies farther away. Loved ones are pulled through the door less unexpectedly. And when they are, we soothe ourselves with good vibes and beg hopes. Death's noose is loosened just enough that few consider their end. I'm tempted to believe that the God of today is less immense, less relevant, and generally more non-intrusive than in former years. Like a president who has served his terms, he retired to a heavenly estate to enjoy the quiet life. We preach of God, but how often do we meet him? We teach classes on the Great Commission, but how often do we baptize? But what makes my soul bleed is this. How often have I even noticed the scarcity? or cared. Look up from your screens and worldly interests, Jesus says. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Spurgeon, seeking to rouse the church in his own soul, likened many Christians to the disciples falling asleep in Gethsemane. Christ is up yonder interceding, and we are down here sleeping, the most of us. Christ is up there showing his wounds and pleading before the Father's throne that he would visit the sons of men and give him to see the travail of his soul. And here are we, 
not watching against the enemies, nor helping him by our prayers, but are busy here and there wasting precious time while immortal souls are being lost. We are sleeping like men in the midst of harvest when the grain is waiting for the sickle. His sermon text, Ephesians 5.14 Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Ye of little faith. Perhaps this is all an errant assessment, romanticizing the past and overlooking present triumphs. God is certainly not retired. Does a single hour pass without heaven rejoicing over the repentance of a sinner? But from my view, in my own limited experience, something feels lacking. Perhaps you feel it too. Less soldierly, more civilian. Less awake, more drowsy. Less expectant, more complacent. Risk great things for Christ? Stop scrolling and watching and coasting and live? In this the greatest story of all? Leave the Shire for adventure? No. I too often think with Bilbo, nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't think what anybody sees in them. The difference is not with the times as much as with me. The God of yesterday, the God of Moses and David and Paul and Luther and Whitfield and Spurgeon is the God of today. The gospel that sent a thunderclap through the world is the same we tell forth. The spirit, the mission, the urgency. The enemies have not changed. His promise to be with us now and unto the end of the age has not undergone amendment. My faith in wakefulness, in prayer, in questing, or lack thereof, better explain castles untaken, souls unwon. Sentinels sleep upon the watchtower. Driest pool. I've needed to repent before our Lord for my small estimations of the King's power and his willingness to work powerfully today. Maybe you have reason to do the same. Through even this one example of Spurgeon's ministry, I become more restless not seeing people added to the church regularly. More rainless than the desert sand. No place more parched in all the land. This drought above all droughts abysmal. The empty pool, the dry baptismal. Satan laughs, accusing fraud. Behold the shortened arm of God. Behold the fountain now a tomb. Behold the barren, lifeless womb. Satan nor his works renounced. No triune loyalties pronounced. No signal of heaven's addition. No evidence of great commission. Spurgeon kept the baptismal pool filled, even when no baptisms were scheduled. His people would always have the mission set before them. May our pools be figuratively filled with importunate prayers, compassionate tears, and joyful proclamations of the excellencies of our glorious Christ. May we be fully awake, fully alive, sowing much. And let us look to the God of our ancestors to answer us from heaven. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.